Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unbothered with Josh Morani. Today, I'll be talking about the Patriots trading for a backup quarterback who I think will be the offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year from this year's NFL draft class. Also, a couple big-name free agents still left on the market. Who is the best fit for them uh, now that the free agency market has really dried up? The big-time free agents have signed, and a lot of holes have been uh, filled via the draft. And then I'm going to get into last night, Bucks-Celtics game, Warriors-Grizzlies, preview the remainder of those series, and then also the Heat 76ers, a Suns-Mavericks, and then I'll finish up with some NHL talk, Crosby's injury, NHL MVP finalists, and my top five teams in baseball, all today on Unbothered. Now let's start, though, with another NFL schedule uh, reveal. This one yesterday was the reveal of the Packers-Cowboys on Fox. To me, that's not a huge matchup. That's not one I look at and think, ooh, that's one I've got to be on my seat Sunday afternoon to watch the Packers and the Cowboys. Bill, is Mike McCarthy's return to Lambeau. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of value to me because it's not like McCarthy left on bad terms or left, you know, abruptly. It was you ended badly and he got fired and they've moved on. They've been better with LaFleur, even though not winning a title. Uh, Cowboys have been the same, uh, bad. And then last year, you know, another disappointing first round exit that I predicted. And so did many others to the San Francisco 49ers. So it's not a sexy matchup, but it is the Cowboys America's team who America loves and it brings in the ratings. And then you have, you know, the Packers, beloved Aaron Rodgers, who's lost some sort of that love, but is still the back-to-back MVP for time MVP uh, quarterback playing. But today we got a much more juicier matchup. That is Sunday Night Football, Week 4, Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl rematch. Now that is a matchup I will clear my Sunday night schedule for to watch. Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady again. Tom Brady's got the better of Patrick a number of times now. Biggest one, you know, in the biggest moments, the AFC Championship game, the Super Bowl where the Bucks dismantled the Chiefs. Have, however, this matchup will be supremely different from last time. There's no Bruce Arians on one side, and then on the other side, there is no Tyreek Hill. Uh, when they played two years ago in Tampa afternoon game, Tyreek obliterated the Buccaneers in the first quarter, went for over 200 yards and like three touchdowns, went insane out of his mind. Uh, deep shot after deep shot, zipping past Carlton Davis, Antoine Winfield, throwing up the peace sign. Uh, and the Bucks mounted a great comeback, but Brady never got the ball back, and they lost that game 27-24. Flash forward to the Super Bowl, where you had Antoine Winfield giving Tyreek Hill the peace sign. Bucks just having all kind of fun uh, that day. And now here we are two years later, a very different Chiefs team. A Bucks team led by Tom Brady at 45 years old. What a matchup this will be. Of course, I'm picking the Bucks to win this game, mainly because Tyree Kill's not there. They don't have that fear factor anymore on offense, but I'm still looking forward to this matchup. Tonight, we get the full NFL schedule reveal. I'm excited. My next podcast will be dedicated to the full 18-week schedule. So I'm very much looking forward uh, to that, seeing the great matchups, what teams uh, or what days my team will be playing who, when. I'm looking forward to it. Other NFL news. Patriots trade 
uh, one of their many backup quarterbacks, Jared Stidham, to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Patriots send a seventh-round draft pick. Uh, Raiders also send a sixth-round draft pick. So not really a big trade uh, at all. Jarrett Stidham's lost a lot of value. At one point in time, he was the top player to replace Tom Brady after Tom Brady left for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But that didn't pan out as they draft Max Jones. This year, they draft Bailey Zappi. Still have Brian Hoyer on the roster as well. So not much room for Stidham. They send him to the Las Vegas Raiders, who reunites with his former offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, who is now the head coach at Las Vegas. And I think this will be a much better start for him. Uh, is not going to be the top quarterback on the team. Is That spot is Josh, I mean, Derek Carr's job to lose. However, he is going to battle for a backup spot, and I think he very much well could be the top backup in that system with Josh McDaniels. He joins Nick Mullins, Garrett Gilbert. I think he can beat out Garrett Gilbert. Nick Mullins has a little bit uh, more playing time under his belt, but I think this is a good trade for the Las Vegas Raiders, and it definitely clears up cap space, get an extra uh, higher draft capital for the New England Patriots. So I just think this is a win-win trade. And of course, Jared Stidham's contract and salary is nothing crazy, just, you know, a million dollars. So not that big at all. A big cap hit. Now time to talk about my offensive and defensive rookie of the years from this upcoming draft. My offensive rookie of the year line pegging as a favorite right now is Kenny Pickett. Why? Because this is a quarterback award. Most times quarterbacks will win this award, even though other players might have a great year. We saw this. Uh, Mac Jones win it, even though, I mean, my bad. We saw Justin Herbert win it, even though uh, Justin Jefferson had a great season. Justin Herbert was just a little better this past year. Uh, Mac Jones was beat out by uh, Jamar Chase, deservedly so. Jamar Chase was brilliant. But most of the time, we have quarterbacks win this award. Uh, And I think this year is no different. I like Kenny Pickett to win it. And it's just because a lot of those other offensive talents, I'm just unenthused by the team. For example, Drake London, I think, is going to be a fantastic wide receiver in this league, has a skill set to be great for the Falcons. However, Marcus Mariota is throwing him passes. That doesn't inspire confidence in me. Uh, I don't think Drake London is going to have that volume. And they have Kyle Pitts as well. So I just don't see it happening for Drake London. You have Garrett Wilson, again, who's thrown to him. Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson didn't look great this year. They improved the team, but still, you have Brees Hall, another great rookie. But it's the Jets. It's the Jets. They have to be have a major turnaround for me for me to even consider those players as rookie of the year candidates. And then you also have Chris Olave uh, for the Saints. But then again, Jameis Winston. Again, not much confidence in the guy. Jamison Williams, he's going to be recovering from his ACL, won't play the full slate. Now he could have an OBJ type year uh, and, you know, play 13 games and somehow still win it. That's very possible if he's just dominant in that. So it's possible, but again, not likely. So to me, I look at Kenny Pickett, who's coming into a great system, and Mike Tomlin, who's never had a losing record. They not only have a decent wide receiver group already, but they drafted wide receivers as well. They have Najee Harris, who's a legit top five, top 10 running back in the NFL. They drafted offensive linemen. So they identified the holes on this team. Kenny Pickett is going into a very similar situation as Mac Jones did last year, a very good, safe system. And it's going to be up to Kenny Pickett to make some big time plays. And I believe he does. And I believe he wins offensive rookie of the year. So that's my pick. What about defensive player of the year? 
Of course, I'm going with none other than Aiden Hutchinson of the Detroit Lions. Why? Because this seems to go to edge rushers and uh, things of that. We saw uh, Miles Garrett win it, you know, T.J. Watt, uh, Aaron Donald. Last year was Micah Parsons. This year's going to be no different. Now, I like Kevon Thibodeau, but he's playing for the Giants. He's playing for the Giants. Again, like the Jets, a, a terrible franchise. They've been one of the worst teams the past five years, if not the worst. You have Trevon Walker going to the Jags, but then again, the Jags are another dying franchise. I don't see them doing well there. Then you have other cornerbacks, you know, the McDuffie, the Sauce Gardeners. But then again, I don't expect cornerbacks to come in day one and just be shut down. Brilliant. So I'm giving it to Aiden Hutchinson, who's going into a good system with Dan Campbell. They also drafted Pascal on the opposite side. So it's not just Aiden Hutchinson. I believe Aiden Hutchinson can put up similar numbers to what uh, he did last year in Michigan and put up similar numbers to what Max Crosby did this year with the Las Vegas Raiders. I can see him, you know, touching, you know, 80, 85 pressures, 15 sacks, a forced fumble here. There may be an interception if he's lucky enough. But I have Aiden Hutchinson having a, a monster year for the Detroit Lions. I think he's going to be a game wrecker, a game changer, defensive tone uh, setter. And he's going to prove why he should have been the number one pick and why he was the number one overall prospect for so long in the best player of a draft. And the Lions got him at number two. Again, another chip on his shoulder as well. I believe Aiden Hutchinson has a great, great year and wins defensive player of the year unanimously in a landslide. Now, next up, a couple of big free agents still left on the market. One of them is Jarvis Landry who was cut by the Browns. Browns kind of wanted to bring him back in after they traded for Deshaun Watson, got Amari Cooper. But it looks like Jarvis Landry rejected a deal. He's not going back there. So where is the best fit for Jarvis Landry? I think the best fit's the Ravens. And maybe not even that's not the best fit for him, but the Ravens desperately need another wide receiver that Anyone with any meaningful snaps is Rashad Bateman, but he's dealt with injuries. And you look at the wide receiver list behind him, uh, Rashad Bateman, it's uninspiring. Uh, Jarvis Landry would be a huge pickup here for Lamar Jackson. Uh, I know Mark Andrews is the focal point of the passing offense. And if they have, you know, J.K. Dobbins, you know, Gus, you know, Edwards back fully healthy this year. They are a run-first team. It will continue to be a run-first team, but they still need weapons to, you know, have defenses respect the pass as well. Even if I don't have a lot of respect for Lamar Jackson's throwing ability, uh, you can't just have Mark Andrews up there, have a linebacker, maybe a safety double him, and you're not going to have anybody else win a one-on-one matchup. Jarvis Landry would be a key piece, a nice piece. I don't think it's a game-changing piece. He's not a game-changing wide receiver, but he works very well out of a slot. You can motion him and use him in sweeps as well in the running game. So I think Jarvis Landry is a great fit for the Ravens. The Ravens should definitely bring him in. That's who I like. Julio Jones. What about him? He's still on the market after the Titans cut him. You know, a lot of talk, could he reunite with Matt Ryan and the Colts? I don't think he wants that. I think a good fit for Julio Jones is actually reuniting with Kyle Shanahan, his former offensive coordinator in uh, Atlanta. I think Kyle Shanahan knows that Julio Jones is not the wide receiver that he is, but can still, you know, squeeze, you know, some productiveness out of Julio. Because Debo is your number one guy. But there is uncertainty around Debo, his contract situation. Will he play? I think they're expecting him to play. I don't see Debo being the competitive guy that he is sitting out. But you have Debo. But there's still a question mark around him. Brandon Ayuk 
there's a question mark around him. There's weeks where he's great, and there's weeks where he's uninvolved. Uh, you know, is basically basically a a healthy scratch off the lineup, and then there's not much behind him. I know you've got George Kittle, but another, you know, injuries, you know, is a question mark around him. So you bring in Julio Jones, who has injury concerns as well, but you're going to potentially be using him as your third receiver and is going to be, you know, your fourth option on the team behind Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk. So it's a lot of pressure, and you still have at least, a, you know, Julio is a guy that defenses still respect, is a guy he can still go out and make plays for you on offense, still great, tremendous catching ability. So I think Julio Jones and the 49ers, it's a match that makes sense. Next up, Odell Beckham Jr., wide receiver, you know, for the Rams, who is no longer a Ram. He's a free agent. You know, the Rams traded for Allen Robinson. Uh, are we going to keep OBJ? You know, he's basically going to be out all year. With that, ACL could come back playoff times and then play some meaningful football. But you just never know. So where do you think, or where do I think he should go? I'm not going to save a Rams. Like I said, they got Allen Robinson. They got Cooper Cup. They got, uh, I forget the tight end's name, but Higby, their tight end. I think OBJ benefits, and he should go to the Arizona Cardinals. I think he likes Arizona. He's been showing up at the Suns game, repping the Booker jersey, repping with Chris Paul. He seems to like the warmer weather. The weather out here is much warmer than L.A. I think it's also a friendlier environment, not the stuck-up people of L.A. Taxes are less here than L.A. Uh, you can still rehab as well. And again, you're not going to be the number one option. They got DeAndre Hopkins, who will be that. They got Marquise Brown. So either way you slice it, if you go back to the Rams, you're the third option. If you go back here, you're the third option. But I think he'd like to play with a dynamic quarterback like Kyler Murray. He won his ring last year. It's been gifted. I think he goes to the Cardinals. And if the Cardinals are sniffing the playoffs, I'm still on the fence about them. But he could come back and make some key plays for the Arizona Cardinals. What about James Bradbury? Cornerback that the Giants recently cut. Great slot cornerback, but, you know, has tailed off in recent years. Again, I'm going with the Cardinals on this one uh, because the Cardinals have clear cornerback uh, issues uh, there. You know, gone are the days of Patrick Peterson and his greatness, moved on to the Vikings, and it was a smart move to move on from him as he's not the same cornerback he once was. But last year they signed Malcolm Butler, and he, you know, mysteriously doesn't play the whole year, retires his whole fiasco. I think James Bradbury, it's a piece you need. I think you go out and get him to be your slot corner to just have depth back there on defense. The Cardinals need to address their depth because they have depth issues across the board here. I think it would be a smart signing by the Arizona Cardinals uh, to let them know. And last but not least, Nadama Kongsu is another one uh, who's been with the Bucks for a while now. He hasn't re-signed. I don't know if the team has reached out to him, but what should he do? I think Nadama Kongsu should go back to the Bucks, even if it's a one-year short-term deal. His snaps were reduced a little bit last year, but it's still a great piece to have in the interior as a run stopper, but also can get to the quarterback as well here. Not the force he was in Detroit, not prime Sue, but he is still a big piece in the middle. And if you're the Bucks, you want to avoid him going to a contender in your uh, conference like the 49ers, like the Rams, like the Packers, you either want him on your team or really no one else's team. So if I'm the Bucks, that's how I'm playing this scenario out. It's, you know, is he the most valuable piece to our defense and our team? No, but I would sure like him a lot more on our side than he is 
on somebody else's side. And the thing is, as well with Sue, he does take a costly penalty here there. But he also fires up the defense as well. He makes big plays. He talks trash. He gets the defense uh, going, gets the crowd going as well. I think the Bucks need to keep Ndamukong Sue on their team. Now time to shift over to the NBA. Where I'm still talking about Nikola Jocic, who does not win or should not have won the MVP. Now, he won MVP due to a the analytics and, you know, what are the analytics? What do people mean when they say he won because of the analytics? Well, what it means is he led the NBA in VORP, uh, which is value over replacement player, you know, a highly regarded metric in the analytical circles for measuring overall player performance and how the team would be without him. Now, the analytics debate has raged on because of Nikola Jocic winning MVP last year and the analytics behind it. Uh, So this year, they decided to go with it. And it's just the wave now we see in NFL you know, the analytics, it's, it's to go for two of this play. It's to go for this fourth down call. It might, might not be the safest, most conventional, but it's what the analytics say. So there is this hyper-analytics wave. Everybody's going with the analytics. Some coach likes it more than others. So we see the Chargers coach, uh, Brandon Staley, goes with the analytics in his final game with the Chargers, the season finale, and he trusts the analytics. And what does him and his team do? They miss the playoffs because they're an analytic team. That's just how they operate. Sometimes it comes back to bite you. And in the case of the MVP, it has come back to taint the MVP award because Nikola Jocic does not deserve it. Now, it's either you go off based on analytics and just what it is, because I think it should play a part, but not the whole part. It's how you watch the game. It's, oh, Nikola Jocic was great, but he's a sixth seed, you know, Joel Embiid, similar numbers, but he's an uh, eight seed, so or he's a four seed, so he's a little better. Giannis is a three seed, so you know Devin Booker's a one seed. All guys, I would put him to MVP ahead of Jokic. We saw that uh, Joel was two in voting, Giannis three, Devin four. If it was me, I'd have Giannis one. I would have Joel two, or Joel one, Giannis two. That's to me. Nothing would bother me about Bose one two, but I would have Devin Booker three, and Nikola Jocic four. But it's analytics. Now let's say you know, let's say if analytics decided the MVP, you know, the VORP, the analytics since two thousand, how would the MVPs look? Let's go back in time, shall we? Till two thousand, MVP Shaquille O'Neal, dominant season one, you know. MVP, Finals MVP, All-Star MVP, Scoring Champ, great. Guess what? He Analytics also said he was the MVP, so that one they got right. What about 01? Allen Iverson, actual MVP, a 6.1 VORP on a 10-point scale, 6 out of 10. Oh, that's not really that good. Vince Carter, actually much higher, 7.2 VORP. He would have actually won it the same way Jokic would have won it due to analytics. 2002, Tim Duncan, analytics says the same thing. So, so far, two, you know, out of the three, that's pretty good. What about 03? Tim Duncan won back-to-back MVPs. Should that have happened? No, his 7.7 VORP analytics score was not that close to Tracy McGrady's. 9.3, Tracy McGrady. T-Mac would have won his MVP, which he still thinks he should have won. And guess what? The analytics are right about it. You should have won that T-Mac 2004, Kevin Garnett, KG, perfect analytics grade. So, yes, he is the actual MVP still. So, three out of five. What about 05? Steve Nash, a lot of people didn't think he deserved this uh, at all. Guess what? Analytics are with him. He had a 4.4 analytics value over replacement score. Well, KG had a 9.1. Should have actually won it if we go by analytics. So, so far, it's three and three. 
Now, here we go. Now's where it changed when one of the best players in league history, LeBron James, shows up on the screen, you know, has been in the NBA now. But here he is actually fully ascending. 06, Steve Nash won won the MVP, won back-to-back. But the analytics says LeBron James should have won MVP. 07, Dirk won it, but analytics says LeBron should have won it. 08, Kobe won it, but analytics said that LeBron should have won it. So LeBron got snubbed out of three MVPs already, rightly so. 09, LeBron won it. Analytics said that was true. 2010, LeBron won it. Analytics said that was true. So he won back-to-back MVPs, but in actuality, he should have won five straight MVPs if this is what is a determination now for MVPs. He should have won five straight and would have matched Jordan at that point. 2011, Derrick Rose and won MVP. Let's give it to somebody new. Guess what? LeBron James led in analytics again. That would have been six MVPs in a row. Then 2012 and 2013, LeBron James won back-to-back actual MVPs. And the analytics were the same, that he should have won those. So in totality, right there, LeBron James would have won. Let's just count it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You should have won eight MVPs in a row. Eight in a row, which would have been unprecedented. But that's how good and how dominant LeBron is. But there was no analytics debate back then. It's, it's right now we only look at the analytics. So LeBron got snubbed out of four MVPs. He did. And then you go to 2014. Kevin Durant won his first. Analytics gives it to him. 2015, Steph Curry wins, but actually should have gone to James Harden, whose value over replacement was just a tad bit higher. Steph Curry in 2016 won unanimous, first ever, and guess what analytics said you get it this time. 2017, Russell Westbrook, Mr. Triple-Double, broke the record. Analytics said, sure, let's give it to him. They got that one right. What about 2018? Gave it to James Harden, you know, averaged 30 points a game. But it was LeBron James who led in analytics, who actually, by this measure, he actually led the league in points, rebounds, assists, minutes, compared to Harden in his stats. So he didn't lead, he didn't, I should have said that, he didn't lead the league, but he did beat James Harden in all those statistical categories. So LeBron James would have had its ninth MVP, Harden without none. And then Giannis won back-to-back in 19 and 20, but they actually give that to James Harden, the analytics. You know, 2020 or 2019, James Harden averaged 36 points, was amazing, and he should have got it. So imagine how different the NBA landscape would look if LeBron James, by the analytics standards, won nine MVPs. Nine. If Giannis didn't win any MVPs and James Harden went back-to-back and had three total MVPs, if Steph Curry only had one, D-Rose had none, you take one away from Kobe, you take away uh, Steve Nash's, Dirk, the landscape changes drastically because of this analytics. But now we listen to the analytics, and that's how we award Nikola Jokic. So my only ask is to be consistent. We're either going to use analytics for everything or we're only going to use it for a portion of it. Because if we're going to use it for everything, Nikola Jokic is going to be the MVP for quite a while in this league. And we should just go back and rescind the MVPs and give it to the people by the analytics standard actually deserve it. Uh, Or we account that as just a portion and we, you know, give other metrics to the eye test. How does it look when he's playing? Or the team, you know, just because he puts up good numbers is efficient. How does that attribute to the team success, even if he's individually great? I think there's more to factor in here than just analytics. And that's why I think they got it wrong. And you've got to either pick the analytics side or that's only used for a portion. I'm not saying to discard all analytics, but it can't be the one metric used for everything. Uh, once all, great all, 
for all time, always, as Mobius would say from Loki. So again, don't think Nikola Jokic should win MVP unless you are a hard stand for analytics-only winning awards. Now time to talk about last night's NBA games. The first being the Bucks celtics Now I was watching some of this, and it didn't look like, to me, the Bucks were going to come back and win this game. Uh, you know, they had the early lead in the first quarter, 28-26. But Celtics take the second quarter lead, and it didn't look like Milwaukee could eat into that. You know, they'd get to 9-8, and the Celtics would get back on top, you know, by 10-12. to And it just looked that way in the second quarter when the Celtics took the lead in the third quarter as well. I just thought, you know, Milwaukee is this. It, I'm starting to doubt you, but I thought... You know, it's a little hope key because there's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Here come the third quarter where Giannis uh, plays brilliant, hits a clutch three in the final two minutes, uh, which puts him at, you know, two in this game, shooting 10% from three-point land in this series, makes two big threes, scores 40 points in the series, the blood dripping down his face from getting clipped near his eye. And he drops a 40-piece with 11 rebounds and 4 assists. Says, Al Horford isn't defending me. Grant Williams is not defending me. I'm Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm a finals MVP, a back-to-back MVP, a champion. I'm taking this game over. Is the best player on the planet. And that's what he did. Offensively dominated, defensively locked in. And he finally had some help from his running mate as well in Drew Holiday. Finally had some help. Was he the best offensively? No, he took 24 shots to get 24 points, which isn't that good. But what did Drew do on the defensive end? He sealed the deal. He closed the game on the defensive side of the ball. That's what he did. He harassed Marcus Smart. And for some reason, Marcus Smart was the one continually bringing the ball up the court shooting the shot when it shouldn't have been Marcus Smart. Was it like Marcus Smart was feeling it? He had 15 points. You know, Jalen Brown was doing much better this game uh, than he was. Jason Tatum. And here is Marcus Smart bringing the ball up court. You know, his turnover, you know, which Drew stole, led to Drew Williams or Drew Holiday's game-tying three. Then at the end there, uh, he blocked Drew Holiday and then threw it out on Smart. So that it was Bucks ball. They make the free throws. They go up. Marcus Smart goes into Jalen Brown, uh, which allows Bobby Portis to get the offensive rebound from Giannis's missed free throw and take the lead. And then at the end again, Marcus Smart bringing the ball of court. Drew Holiday steals it and steals the game when there's five seconds left. Game over. He had a wide open Jason Tatum. Uh, near the wing of the arc, but couldn't get it to him, is he constantly had a ball in this game, constantly fumbled it up, and Marcus Mark won defensive player of the year, but it was Drew Holiday who actually looked like the real defensive player of the year in those final two minutes. Thought, you know, Marcus Mark, that custom-made jacket robe that you got, how about you deliver it to me after this game? Because Drew Holiday put on a show there at the end of the game. The way that the Bucks were able to come back when, you know, they shot more efficiently from three than from the field, 45% to 44, uh, when Boston shot much better from the field at 51%, even though the three was at 52%. Milwaukee, I respect because they dig in. It's hard work. They grind games out. No lead is safe. Uh, with the other team, uh, it's just great. Uh, you know, it sucks because, as I said, Boston was better in the field goal percentage, you know, better free throw shooting team. But the Bucks won this game due to their hustle, their hard work, getting the rebounds, a rebounding margin of plus 13 to the Bucks and plus 12 in offensive rebounds. When you have that many more offensive rebounds, 12, 
which allows you to have 10 more shots, good things will be rewarded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's exactly what happened. Even though they turned the ball over carelessly at times, uh, they were the better team. And at the end of the day, the best player on the planet won, made a clutch three when he is not a good three-point shooter. Not going to sit here, you know, and say that he is, even though I think he's the best player in basketball. They've trailed by 14 points. And here they are leading the series 3-2 to two on the Boston Celtics, who just swept the Nets. And this is without Milwaukee's second-best player in Chris Middleton. This goes to show, should not only just shows me, but should show the rest of the NBA and really the world that Giannis is the best player in basketball. Because KD last year, without his second best player, uh, whether it be Harden or Kyrie, you know, half of them were available for the games last year. Did KD beat the Bucks? No, he didn't. Even KD healthy this year, Kyrie healthy. They played the Celtics team, and I saw the Celtics sweep them. What about the Suns if you think Devin Booker is the best player in the NBA? Take Chris Paul away. Is that team where they're at? No, we saw Devin Booker for years without Chris Paul, and that team was an utter, utter disgrace to the NBA. Uh, always had, you know, the number one pick at the top of boards. So Giannis is the best player in basketball. It's clear that, you know, he can have big nights. Without Chris Middleton, this team will only get more dangerous when Chris Middleton arrives and is back, which could be sometime next series or the NBA Finals if they make it there. So game six, it's in Milwaukee. Friday night, does Milwaukee close it out in six or do the Bucks force a game seven or do the Celtics force a game seven? Uh, nope, I'm saying the Bucks win in six. I think this is great that they won this game. They won game five. Now they're going back home, looking to close out the series, get an extra day of rest or two. I think this is the move by the Milwaukee Bucks. They need to win this game. They can't have this series go any farther uh, just for them, even if they were to win game seven, then to play Miami, short turnaround. I think the... Celtics or the Bucks have to win game six. Uh, I'm not saying it's a must win, but you kind of need it. So I am rolling with the Bucks to win this series. They were my uh, preseason pick uh, to get back here. I've continually picked them throughout the East. I'm not stopping now. I am still rolling with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, what about the Warriors and the Grizzlies? What happened last night? The Grizzlies opened a can of you-know-what on the Golden State Warriors. Just embarrassed them. It looked like D1 on D3. It looked like varsity on a freshman team. The parity was not even close for these two teams last night. Talk about a route, a kathunk. Even the commentators were having fun joking about, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, who at one point led by 55 points in the third quarter. The commentators were laughing. You know, they're up by 52. Oh, guess what? The Warriors make a lineup. It's still 50. They lead by 50. Uh, it was great. I love that Memphis won this game. And the Warriors get what they deserve because my dislike for the Warriors is officially back. It's official. As I said in a previous podcast, I started to warm up to the Warriors. Why? You know, no longer is KD the snake there. Uh, So, you know, he's a big part of it. But this is a team that's been injured. No clay for a while. Steph was injured a couple years ago as well. His hand. uh, Draymond, you know, took a step back so this team isn't one who they once were. So, you know, here I am rooting for Steph because he's enjoyable uh, to watch shoot him a three. But nope, not anymore. The cockiness is back, and I can't believe it. 
beating their chest that they're acting like they're a champ when they haven't won anything since 2018. I'm just, I'm simply, I'm sick of them. Draymond Green, you know, all he does is disrespect the Memphis Grizzlies, saying that they're not Minnesota, that we have championship DNA, and that they don't. Draymond constantly, constantly disrespecting the Memphis Grizzlies anytime he gets the chance. Steph saying last night that what's the game plan ahead of, you know, games five, which was yesterday, and his response was, whoop that trick. Now, if you don't know what that is, that is the unofficial anthem of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, they get the crowd going, you know, third, fourth quarter doing that, and they play the song, whoop that trick. So there is Steph mocking the Memphis Grizzlies as well. So the mockery has never ceased to end in this series from the Golden State Warriors. Then you have them playing whoop that trick last night, and Draymond is, you know, waving his towel in the hype man's face, getting crazy. And it's just pathetic. He needs to stop. Steph needs to stop as well. This is a team that showed no respect. They came in there knowing the Grizzlies weren't to put in a hard effort, but at one point they were like, it doesn't matter. We'll give them the game because game six is back in our building. It's back in the Chase Center. You know, they can have their fun. They can dance all they want, but we'll take care of business in game six. And that's what I thought. I thought, you know, I predicted that the Grizzlies would win this game, so it didn't shock me that they won. It shocked me in the fashion that they won because I thought it was going to be close. You had game four, no John Morant, and here they are losing by three points and could have stole that game. And you had this game, game five, a must win for the Grizzlies, still no job. They just blow the brakes off of them. It's insane. And, you know, it makes me turn my head a little bit thinking, this is a team without job that went 20 and five. And in reality, really went 20-2 and two before the season, and their seed was already locked up, so they rested some players, didn't fully play, so it was 20-5. and five. But in the real time, it was 20-2 and two was their record without job. And a big piece they got back was Steven Adams, who was on the COVID list. So he's been back the past couple games, and he's been a force, uh, you know, not as he a scoring threat, but he is a offensive rebound machine uh, yesterday had six 13 total the game before had 15 rebounds Steven Adams with him in this lineup now they are dominating the boards they were the number one rebounding team this year it goes to show that hey they can play their little boy lineup the Warriors I'm no longer calling it the death lineup because I'm not scared of them they can't shoot Steph Curry abysmal game four step game five wasn't much better shot four of ten uh, Andrew Wiggins, 2 of 6, Kaminga, 7 of 16. So they can take their little boy lineup. Well, let me add the other little boy, Jordan Poole, who had three uh, points last night, you know, one three made. It's not the death lineup. It's their little boy lineup with Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Clay, Draymond Wiggins. But then when you face the big boy lineup of the Grizzlies with Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson, there's no contest for offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds. The Memphis Grizzlies own the boards. Yesterday, Grizzly had a plus 18 advantage here. Plus 18, 55 rebounds to Golden State's 37, plus 14 in the offensive rebound department. The Grizzlies came out firing. Everybody was in double figures. Uh, Desmond Bain looked tremendous. Four of six from three, shot 50% from the field. Tyus Jones making threes. Dylan Brooks was just all right, but Jaron Jackson launching threes from the logo, making them, hyping him up. I was going crazy uh, watching it on my TV, thinking JJJ, not J. Jonah Jameson, Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, who I can't believe is younger than me. I'm 23 and he's 22, but here he is playing great basketball, Brandon Clark off the bench with 11, Melton with 10, Zaire Williams with 11. They played great, and it got me thinking that, hey, Memphis was my pick to make it to the finals. Now, without Ja, I highly question that. But they're 20-2 and two without Ja. 
they can get past the Warriors and I who's going to come on here and say, you know, I'm extending myself an olive branch and I'm going to flip-flop here and just pick the Warriors to win in six. I wouldn't be shocked if the Warriors won in six. Wouldn't be shocked at all. But a 3-1 lead's not impossible, and it's been done before. And if I'm giving any team a chance, it's the Grizzlies. So I'm not backing down yet. I am dying with the Grizzly ship. I am picking them to win Game 7. They have the momentum. Who knows if Steve Kerr will be coaching. But if the Grizzlies can just pull out a miracle win in Game 6, and then it's back to Memphis in that raucous environment, I like the Grizzlies' chances. And guess what? This Warriors core here, the Draymond Clay Steph, they're not immune to the 3-1. If we all do recall the six years ago where the LeBron James-led Cavs erased a 3-1 deficit in the NBA Finals that same year, the Warriors did it to the OKC in the Conference Finals. It's been done before in this core three of the Warriors. Knows it. The Grizzlies are not afraid. They're taking it one game at a time. I love their mentality. I love Chris Jenkins. Love what this team is doing. I'm saying the Grizzlies win game six, and they force a game seven, and it is fueled by all they have to do is listen to Draymond's podcast, listen to the pregame chatter with Steph and Draymond, disrespecting them time and time again. Clay postgame comments as well. Saying, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, we're not worried. Just keep on listening uh, to them because it's the ultimate fuel for the Memphis Grizzlies to go out and keep winning games and beating them. I love, uh, you know, that the Warriors are not letting up. But if it's anybody who can take it and give it back to them, it's these Memphis Grizzlies. So, yes, I'm not backing down. I'm picking them to win game six. Enforce a game seven. But tonight, there are potentially two closeout games. One, the Heat and the 76ers. Game five, Joel looked disengaged. Uh, he wanted that MVP. Looked like he was deflated. The team was deflated, lost by 35. Uh, Heat was just efficient all across the board. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Vincent Struess, Bam, uh, great Oladipo off the bench. James Harden disappeared again. Uh, I know it's in Philly. Philly can force a game seven. I just don't think so. I think Miami wins the game tonight. They close out the Heat in uh, six. And the Philadelphia 76ers face real question marks. They face Doc Rivers. Is this the guy we want? Joel Embiid, he seems to always get injured. Come playoff time, you know, what do we make of this? Do we give James Harden a max deal? They are left with a lot of question marks after another disappointing finish to the season where they cannot make it to the conference finals. Heat winning six tonight. Then the Suns Mavericks. Another team I'm tired of and have been tired of the Suns. And what initially started is me rooting against the Suns because my brother liked them so much. Uh, But what slowly started me to not like them, not due to that reason only, of course, last year's uh, first conference round or first series round between the Suns-Lakers, where the Suns wanted to talk all this trash to LeBron, imitate, you know, D-Book getting teed up, Jay Crowder. Just disrespect there. I just thought, oh, I see how it is. really started me to not like them. And they just become even more unlikable by the minute. Uh, every time I watch them, D-Book's always saying something. I know Luca is saying something. He's not one to shy. Uh, he gets criticized for that. But D-Book is always saying something. Chris Paul is well flopping. Cheap shots by Jay Crowder. Uh, Biombo rolling in into the court with uh, the backups. I mean, the Suns are quite, you know, becoming, I think, unlikable around the league. Uh, as well, does that mean we're going to lose? No, it doesn't, but I do have them losing this game. I have the Mavs winning this, as we've seen in this series. It's been the home team has won all five games. The Suns won two, Mavs two, Suns win. 
I think Dallas wins tonight. They force a game seven. It's not close. These games really haven't been close. We can say leading up to halftime, they've been close. But in totality, uh, these games haven't been close from start to finish. You know, it's been domination by one team. You know, they get behind and they can never catch up, complete the comeback. They can get close, but nothing happens. I had the Mavs winning this game, forcing a game seven. But my initial prediction was Suns in seven. I'm still sticking to that. I think if the Mavs win tonight, force a game seven on Sunday, I like the Suns to finish them off. Uh, Mavericks in a game seven with Luka. Not been good. We saw that last year against the Clippers. A uh, year before in six against the Clippers. Closeout games. Not been the kindest to Luka in these Mavericks. I think D-Book, the experience there, uh, they win at home and they advance to the conference finals. Which hopefully is against the Grizz and makes me root for the Grizz because if it's a Suns-Warriors matchup, whoever comes out of the East is who I'm rooting for. Now time to talk about some NHL. The MVP finalists have been announced, uh, and those are Toronto Maple Leafs' Austin Matthews, New York Rangers' Igor Shesterkin, and Edmonton Oilers' Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is a virtual lock, it seems like, every single time uh, to you know, be part of this. He was great, led the league in points at 123. Austin Matthews led the league in goals at 60. Uh, you know, and Igor Shosturkin was the best goalie, led uh, goaltenders and goals against average and save percentage. Uh, so you have all that there. I'm going with Austin Matthews. Uh, yes, he did lead the league in goals, uh, but also how his team finished. It was better than Edmonton. It was second. It had 115 points. They were the better of the three teams. He was the heartbeat of this team. Uh, he's the guy. They have a lot of these teams of talent, Rangers, uh, Oilers, and uh, Toronto. But I just think it, it's Austin Matthews' time. Uh, he's great. And when we look at the playoffs, he's come up more clutch than Igor has. And uh, Connor McDavid, both their teams on the brink of elimination, whereas Austin Matthews has his team one win away from finally winning a postseason series in 20 years. Next up. Something that really got me hot and bothered yesterday, uh, usually unbothered, but this bothered me very much. That was the Sidney Crosby injury yesterday. Very upset by that. Uh, and I believe Truba, who hit him, should be suspended. And you're always saying that, oh, Josh, you're a Penguins fan. Uh, no, I'm not just a Penguins fan. I like watching fairness. And I don't like seeing players get hurt. The refs have let let that game, especially yesterday, get out of control in terms of the hits and the shots that fired. The refs should have much more control. Finally happened later in this game after the injury, but they should have had control way before. And Crosby would never have gotten uh, injured, I believe. Uh, Truba was going for the puck, I believe, but there's an action there which to me shows intent. It'd be different if he's skating towards him and hits him body on body, gives him the shoulder. But he, when you look at the replay, as he's going from a puck, he extends his elbow up to hit him. So if it was shoulder, I'd be fine. I'd just chalk it up as I just hate the Rangers. Now I have to chalk it up to not only do I hate the Rangers, but I also dislike that player Truba very much and his action, which caused Crosby's injury. And now he is evaluated for an upper body. I'm thankful it's not a concussion or anything like that. But it is worrisome because I look at my team without him, and he's the best player in the playoffs. He's been the best player in his playoffs, is the best player in the world. Uh, by my imagination, uh, is the best, uh, is a top five, top ten player of all time. And now that I have to watch Geno more, it sucks because – Evgeny Malkin, who was once known as Gino, should now be known as Gina because he's not good. That's his new nickname to me is Gina. I'm tired of him. I hope the Penguins don't re-sign him uh, because he comes in yesterday. Uh, not only does he hit Gensel because his offense does not work the way Crosby's does on that first line with Rust and Gensel. There's no chemistry there. I know they score a goal, but other than that, third period was abysmal with him. Then he takes a couple of cheap shot penalties, 
because that's who he is. He's an undisciplined player uh, who shouldn't be on the team anymore, and I am just sick of him. Gina needs to go. I'm very worried now about my Penguins. I thought they had it in the bag up 2-0. I believe they win if Sidney Crosby plays that full game. Now I'm very worried. I'm happy game six is in Pittsburgh. Igor is still clearly rattled. But with Gina, I'm scared. I'm very scared uh, moving forward. I hope the Penguins finish them off tomorrow night. But tonight, every single team's facing an elimination. All four games. First, Hurricanes and Bruins. I'm picking the Bruins to force a game seven. Uh, they were my initial pick so far, much like the Suns Mavs series. The home team has won the five games so far leading up to this point. Hurricanes took the first two, Bruins two, Hurricanes five. I think Bruins win game six. They force a game seven. It looks like they're playing much better at home. There's a clear home ice advantage in this series, and Bruins win game six and force a decisive Game 7. What about Maple Leafs and Lightning? This series has not had the home ice advantage, but it's been the alternating win one, win one, lose one, lose one. And I think Maple Leafs lose this one. I think Lightning force a Game 7 and knock me back on my feet and make me very nervous about my Maple Leafs pick. But I think Lightning, they're a championship team with an asterisk. Uh, but here we are. And I think the Lightning do win this game against the Maple Leafs, and then I get very nervous about Game 7. Wild Blues, I'm shocked the Wild are down 3-2. I thought this series would be over by now. But here we are, and I'm picking the Wild. I need the Wild to win this game. This was my initial pick, Wild winning this series. I thought they were the better team. Blues dealing with injuries. Yet the Wild's defense and Marc-Andre Fleury and the losses have been shaky. I need a big game from a Minnesota Wild. And the Oilers and Kings, will the Oilers force the Game 7? I don't think so. It's in L.A. I think the Kings close out the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, their season with Dowdy, Quick, Kopitar resumes in the second round. Uh, and they face much stiffer competition. Uh, and once again, we talk about Connor McDavid and his inability to lead his team past the first round. I like LA in this matchup. Now I'm going to close out with my top five teams in baseball. Number one, the Los Angeles Angels. Yes, the city of Angels sitting at 21 in 12, uh, scoring a lot of runs. In fact, they have scored the most runs in baseball at this moment, 164. They are great offensively. They are great in the clutch, great at not only just hitting home runs, but bringing people in as well. The Los Angeles Angels are a very good team, and if this team just stays healthy, stays healthy, stays healthy, that's the only question mark I have, then this is a major threat come playoff time. Number four, the Houston Astros. Another team that we seem just, they just can't go away a very balanced team, uh, but they're also riding hot right now. They're riding the heat wave. They've won eight out of their past 10 games. It's vaulted them up. Uh, their play has been tremendous. That's why they're sitting there at number four. Number three, the New York Mets. They have still have yet to lose a series. Uh, second most wins in baseball uh, is well tied for the third amount of losses in baseball. Just a very consistent team. I like uh, this team, how it doesn't seem like a bunch of ups and downs, roller coaster ride. It is just consistent. That's what I like to see. Number two, the other team in New York, the New York Yankees, who have the most wins at 22. Uh, eight losses is also the fewest uh, run differential of plus 52, uh, which happens to be second in baseball. They've won eight out of their past 10 games. This has been a very good team and much better than I thought. But they're still not number one. Who is that? That's the Los Angeles Dodgers, who's right behind them at 20-9. and nine. But they've got a run differential of plus 78. They're the best defensive team in baseball. Uh, they are consistent, and that's why they have a plus 78, which is insane amount in the terms of run score to runs allowed differential. It's great. And, you know, again, 
Do we expect anything less from the Dodgers? No, not really. So, guys, this has been Unbothered. That's my top five in baseball. Los Angeles Angels, Houston Astros, New York Mets, New York Yankees, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. My next podcast will be devoted to the NFL schedule release as I analyze all 18 weeks. That will be my whole podcast next time, the NFL schedule special. Until then, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody.